This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 38 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, I'm joined by a friend of the show and host of the brand new podcast, How the Hell Do We Wind Up Here? A show that puts a spotlight on the current state of the world and what events have led to it. Let us welcome John the Fed. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem, mate. Um, We've been talking for a little while now. Um, We met through a mutual mate, Moral Bob, and... We've had yeah. those really great conversations kind of happening in the background around how each of our lives have kind of gone towards conspiracy and how our lives have changed. And it's almost like we've crossed each other's paths and and gone in directions of mm-hmm. each other's starting points in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So you've kind of gone down the route of, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you're someone who started off in a, a Christian upbringing and through finding out information and not knowing things and wanting to know, you've kind of steered away from faith, whereas I've kind of found my way on that path. Yeah, it, um, you know, I, uh, so like you said, I was, you know, I, I was born in, basically born into the church, right? It, uh, you know, I was born, went into the church, um, became what I believed at the time was, was saved when I was, you know, five or six years old, um, and at that time, you know, it was really one of those looking back on it. Now it was more not ever taught how to be a, you know, a good Christian man, what a Christian man looks like as much as it is this. So I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and uh, it was more, much more of, this is what a Southern Baptist looks like now. This is what, you know, and I, I haven't, I didn't really realize that until as I've kind of come forward and been able to look back. So that kind of opened my eyes as did, um, I guess it, kind of that first step in in just kind of questioning what uh you know what I was taught growing up in the church what I was led to believe and um you know if I realized to me I realized I was kind of being put into a mold or made to fit a mold and so I started questioning well what what else did I have to believe or pursue or, or do whatever to kind of stay inside that mold uh if you will yeah so this it's, Sorry, this is the this is the exact kind of conversation I wanted to have with you because we might be at different points or at different polar ends of the extreme in our in our own journeys of finding out what the how this world actually works or how this realm operates. But right. we're actually able to have these conversations and not have it to be a, a mud throwing match, mud slinging match. We're just finding out like what's each other's motivation and, and what where we're yeah. moving towards. And it it seems to be that. There's very few podcasts, let alone conversations you can have these days as soon as you throw pol- uh, politics or religion into the mix. And we seem to be doing it quite well. We do, you know, and it's um, even inside the church, it seems to, it seems to be that way because you, you bring up the fact that even just that you're questioning or you're looking into something that may be kind of fringe or just that particular church doesn't believe or something like that. And instead of them trying to, to listen to where you're at, it's an automatic, Oh, well, you're wrong. You know, and they, so, and they don't listen, which it's funny because it it really imitates life outside the church as well. There's not really a, there doesn't seem to really be a difference other than one's motivated by religion of a person. And I guess the other is motivated by religion of science or, you know, whatever. So so help set the scene for me. Australia, we're pretty straight line with what our, our religious denominations are. I think only like 35% of the Australian population identifies as Christian anymore. And for the most part, that's the Anglican Church, um, Presbyterians and Catholics. 
and you might have the odds um, splattering of the smaller denominations, but Baptist isn't something that's overly huge here. So what's the difference between, uh, say, a Southern Baptist and what you would consider mainstream churches? So Southern Baptist started off as at least where it depended on a on a on basically like the Mason Dixon line here in the United States. Everything above it was that was Northern Baptist or Anabaptist, and everything below it was Southern Baptist. And basically, they just kind of agreed that they were gonna each one was gonna kind of, for lack of better words, control a region more than anything else. You know, there was there was infighting, there was bickering, and they decided to, to split. And so, and it had to do some of it had to do with theology. You know, uh, had to do with. A lot of it has to do with your, your, um, your thought on the end times, where you, you know, where you land on the rapture. Are you premillennial? Are you pre-rapture? Are you pre-wrath? Are you, you know, all that, you know, and there's, there's multiple, multiple views that are out there. Everybody claims to have the right one. Nobody wants to listen to anybody else's points of view on it because they believe that they have the right one, which you know, for those of you listening, I'm sure sounds all too familiar in, in a bunch of other aspects of, of life as well. But it also had to do with, you know, where they're where they sent their money to the um, the Southern Baptists and their money to what's called the Annie Armstrong Mission Board. And that's supposed to fund missions across. Uh, I'm not sure who the Northern Baptists and the Anabaptists, but so it's it's a it's a part of it has to do with money. Part of it has to do with theology. Part of it has to do with, you know, South. Here in the States, Southerners love to be Southerners and anything that they can call Southern is, is going to be theirs. And so they, they, they really held on to that, you know, that Southern Baptist thing. Although I guess it kind of has, it's moved because I grew up on the West coast of, of the United States. So I obviously wasn't Southern, but you know, uh, even, even there, we were real close to an air force base. So anybody who came from Georgia, Mississippi, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, they searched for a Southern Baptist church. Um, and I think one of the things with the churches, you definitely know, you definitely know what you're going to get when you go, um, to a church. If you're looking for a Southern Baptist church, you know, kind of the theology that they're going to adhere to. If you're looking for a Calvary chapel is starting to get really, really big out here. And with those, you know, the theology that they're going to hold to as well. So, um, it's kind of a big question. Um, you know, people have devoted their lives and written many books is kind of what the difference is, but on a, on a kind of on a 50,000 foot view, money and theology more than anything else. Yeah. And like you said, the, um, the, the cultural dynamics that change between the Northern and the Southern borders, yeah. of, even in the United States, which right. it's, it's well, very and now, unique. Yeah. And now though, you know, you, you Google how many different Christian denominations there are. And it's just, I mean, it's in the thousands really. And, you know, even quote unquote non-denominational church have become their own denominations now. You know, they have. And- <laughs> the uniting church where everyone just shows up kind of becomes its own denomination by, by proxy. But non-denominational, you know, and it's, 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 it's strange because even like Southern Baptist churches, you know, for the most part, it may be changing a little bit now just because of kind of the new, the newer age i'm in texas now but you go to southern baptist churches here it's still everybody's in three-piece suits and and dresses and you know looking nines and tens and when we first moved out here i showed up in flip-flops and board shorts and you know a a t-shirt that said jesus but looked like the reese's cup logo (laughs) and like nobody would talk to me sort of thing so i look i look like river trash and i I guess i didn't belong at their church so (laughs) Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, sure. What are your fond memories of being in the church at a young age? Is there anything that you wouldn't change for a moment? Um, you know, I, I'd say it was more for my friends than anything else. You know, it was like I said when we first started. When I, you know, when I first got saved, when I first, you know, whatever, I was taught how to be a good Southern Baptist boy. So there wasn't ever really any, you know, good. There's no bad memories with it either, but it just kind of was what it was. But it was, you know, Wednesday night youth group, Friday night hangouts, you know, those were kind of my, you know, those were, those are the friends I hung out with, at least in, in the beginning, you know, so that more than anything else are just kind of the, the camaraderie, the, you know, um, whatever you want to call it. So that'd probably be the fondest memory of, of it all. Yeah. So like the social groups type of thing where, yeah, I think even people that don't consider themselves religious or denominational, they can appreciate the fact that there's a sense of community within religious denominations, which I think is yeah. is super important. Um, whereas my my upbringing opposed to yours was we were non-practicing um, 
Protestants or Presbyterians and there wasn't any of those community groups. We kind of just had that idea, you know, if God's real, you go to heaven when you die, if you're, if you're a good Christian, all that type <laughs> of stuff. But we didn't actively practice right. it. It was just the whole, the Christian that doesn't have to go to church on a, on a Sunday type of a deal. And right, because of that, and Easter. yeah, it just, and because of that, we, we didn't have any of those community connections and growing up in a regional area, the only way I could have those connections with other kids or people my own age was either at school, which was very limited in time, or if I was at a sport or played sport at certain times of the year. So I feel like I missed out on a lot of those connections early on as a kid that I'm only finding now as an air quotes conspiracy theorist and person who's just trying to figure <laughs> out this realm. Right. No, absolutely. You know, but it's, it's different. And this is, this may start us in the nitty gritty. If, if that's what you want to do, if not, we can circle back later, but you know, as an adult, it's different being able to look back as well, because as, as a kid, as a teenager, you're, you're oblivious to, you know, to a lot of things. Um, you know, my, my parents got divorced when I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. So however old I was 14, 15 years old. And I didn't, I didn't, notice it but talking to my mom and being able to look back on things you know once they got divorced it was almost like she was she had you know she was wearing a scarlet letter on her chest because divorce in a in a in a southern baptist church in the in the 80s and 90s you know early 90s was you know it was it was taboo you know it was and and my mom did her best she understood that that or at the time at least she she thought that that's where my sister and I needed to be because that's where our social gathering our social groups were and everything like that but she got she got put through a lot you know going going through that you know as well but she she stuck out because she thought it was important for her kids to be able to be there and looking back I'm just like you know it's that wasn't fair to her either so yeah, it's the the blissful ignorance or the innocence of children that you don't have that broader understanding of how the world really works and the implications of things. And like you said, when you reflect on on your life back when you were young, you don't realize the the bigger picture stuff that was happening when you were a kid, just enjoying yourself or not responding to what was actually happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what was the major catalyst that? that set you down a path to move away from the church? Because how many years were you in the church for? 40 odd years? Oh gosh. So I'm 45. So 43 years, 44 years. I mean, it's been this, this stage of the journey has been um, fairly new. You know, I still, I went to church, not begrudgingly, but just like, until I figure things out, I'm still going to kind of, or figure out where I'm at. I'm still going to, I'm still going to go with what I know sort of thing, because and I still hope, you know, the the way that I feel or what I, what I believe I understand, what I, what I feel I know, I still hope is wrong. Like, I'd love to be able to come back and be like, I was, I was sadly mistaken. You know, I was, this is, I was wrong. This is not where it is sort of thing. So, um, the, the, I would say though, the, the, the first start was, gosh, it was, it was during COVID. So a couple of things. The big thing for me was during COVID, I got introduced to to the idea of flat earth and, and immediately it made sense. Immediately made sense. It was like, you know, to, to quote, to be like Paul, like scales fell off my eyes sort of thing. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I didn't have to research it. I didn't have to do anything. It just, it just clicked. And then obviously I did do the research afterwards to make sure that it was, well, some of the pastor got wind of it. Um, he called me about it. Uh, you know, started trying to correct me on it. And then he addressed it from the pulpit um, that flat earth is, is a heresy. You know, it, it's, it's a sin to believe it. And I was just like, where, you know, and he used one verse, which it talks about the circle of the earth. And he tried to co- convince that the circle of the earth is shows that it's a globe. And I <laughs> tried to talk to him. To, I was like circles, a, a, a ball is 3d, a circle is flat sort of thing wouldn't hear it, wouldn't listen to it, you know, and it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a, um, it was three or four times at least that, that, that I heard sort of thing. So there was, there was that, um, the fact that churches shut, you know, if you believe in kind of the, uh, how do I want to put it? If you believe in the, you know, if you believe God is all powerful, which, you know, I still do. And I I do want to put out there, you know, I'm not, not a believer in, in God. It's more of the questioning just, is the God that, that the, um, that the church puts out there, is that the real, is that the real deal? Or is it, 
you know, is it, is it something else? Um, Jesus is a whole other road to go down, but as far as God, so if you believe God is, is all powerful, then why are all these churches shutting down? You know, if we're here to serve God and not, not man and, and man's laws are going against what the church believes that, um, that the, if, if the church is following man's laws and, and cow, kowtowing towards man rather than, um, you know, rather than what God wants, then like how strong, really how strong is this sort of thing? So that, those were kind of the two instances that really got me, uh, um, really got me questioning everything. It's, that's quite interesting because it seems to be on, on the reverse of that. A lot of people, when they, when they go down the flat earth route or they come to a, hypothesis with the information they've been presented with that they think that flat earth is is the model i think it could be the the case sometimes it tends to push people towards some kind of a faith in god so i find it very interesting that you're um that your church leader was using a really poor analogy of shape versus form as evidence yes but but that's that's where i think we hand the baton to it off to each other that I'm non-denominational and not denominationally homeless because I, like you think, and correct me if I'm misspeaking here, but I believe that there's a lot of mechanisms within the church because it's man-made are there for a reason. It's not actually what the faith or or the spiritual side of religion should be. It's just a mechanism right. to control people and to to push man's law instead of God's law. Yeah, you know, and I, so... No, absolutely. And so I, I started coming to the cl- conclusion, first off, that religion, like you said, it's man-made, it's a control mechanism, you know, and so I started kind of backtracking, well, when, you know, when did the church first start, you know, obviously, you can get back to the the formation of the Catholic Church. And, you know, and it's, it's strange, because in, in non-Catholic Christian circles, I guess you can call it, the Catholic Church is very, is very much bashed. You know, the Catholic Church, you know, there's the Pope and they do this. and the, But then you start looking at everything that the church does, and it very much mimics the Catholic Church as well. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of and just seeing, too, that the um, the church as a whole, I'm not going to say my church because, you know, it's grant, granted that the pastor at the church that I was going to is is one person. So I'm not going to say the whole church is all the church's belief is based off of, off of my pastor's belief. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that, but at the same time, you start realizing that the church seems to be very much in lockstep with what the world tells you as well. Um, for the most part, you know, the church is very much, excuse me, the church is very much against holistic healing or, or, you know, going out there trying to find something natural because all of a sudden you're becoming a pagan and you're worshiping natural things. But they tell you, well, go to the doctor and, and take whatever the doctor gives you, you know, be, to to get better. And so, you know, you kind of just start seeing these things of like, when you start, when you turn it, and I think that's what it was, is I started turning a, a critical eye to the church. I started not not being critical of, but just really trying to examine what the church was, where it was at, why it was doing what it was doing. And I just started finding a lot of things that just either didn't make sense or made too much sense to be like that that's not a coincidence that these things are happening like this. What was the, the major point that like you said, there's all these things that kind of like inching you towards um, that critical thinking and putting the microscope on, on scripture and man-made church air quotes. What was the major thing that made you go? Yeah. Okay. This is it. I've got to, I've got to think more critically about it. So you had that interaction with your your church leader. What was it beyond that? Like so, suddenly um, in the last couple of years, really, it's happened, hasn't it? Yeah. So I, I love to read, you know, and um, I'll read anything from growing up when I ran out of Hardy Boys books to read. I'd read my sister's Babysitter's Club or, you know, V.C. Andrews or, you know, whatever. Um, and so in the church, I would read, you know, I'd read a lot of I'd read a lot of theology books. Um, I'd read a lot of but there are theology books that kind of went along with my same theology sort of thing. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a pre-wrath rapture. So I'm going to, I'm going to read all the, I'm going to read all the books about pre-wrath rapture sort of thing. I'm not going to look into the other ones because I believe that they're wrong. Um, I started trying to expand more of like, well, let's look into other things. Let's look into other points of view, other, other differences. And I started realizing 
for me at least, what I, the road I wanted to go down was instead of people who had an agenda inside the church writing a book. And granted, the the, the ones I kind of turned to could have had an agenda. I'm, I'm, and I know I've read some of them that do, but I, I went kind of more along the scholarly route. You know, people who were Old Testament scholars, New Testament scholars, um, f- scholars for for things that were found at, you know, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found at Qumran, and you know, all these other things, um, and really trying to get there, just hoping at the time that they were going to be able to just say, look, this is what it is. There's no agenda here with this. We're just going to tell you this word means this. It's only been used this, this amount of time. And so the big thing for me was the, uh, um, was the birth narrative of Jesus, right? Luke writes the birth narrative and he, he, he talks about how there's um, that, that a, a virgin will be with child right is is how luke writes it well that that goes back to gosh and I, i'm drawing a blank but i think it's isaiah it's somewhere in isaiah that 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 is and so you read the story where that comes from in isaiah and that has nothing to do with jesus at all you know you try to bring that up to somebody and they just automatically shut it down no no it's it's prophecy it's pro- but you try to get them to read it and what it is is the um so the word is alma a l m a h is is the hebrew word that's used in isaiah it says an alma will be with child that word does not mean virgin it's only been translated to mean virgin twice in i don't there's like 30 some 36 times and that 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 number may be maybe off it probably is but we'll say it's 30 we'll say it's 30 times just for just for even math so 20 out of the 30 times that that word is translated into young maiden. Well, for some reason, they decided to retranslate it those two times into the word virgin. Fine. Whatever. But the way that the story goes in Isaiah is Jerusalem's being under siege. The prophet comes and says, here's your sign. God will deliver you from this siege because a young maiden is going to have a, is going to have a baby. And that's really a rudimentary way of looking or, or quoting the verse. But I started seeing things like that. Just like, this is what I was taught, but this is actually what it says sort of thing. And so I started, when I talked about turning a, a critical eye to uh, to the Bible, to, you know, to what's been taught from the pulpit, I started really looking at it that way. Just, okay, scholars are going to write about this. And so I, I really tried to start gaining a bunch of information of just what does this mean? And then I started getting into finding out that these, you know, the oldest manuscripts they have, you know, for, uh, we'll say, we'll say, uh, John five people will use, it's like verses 31 through 32 or 25 through 26, something like that, where they'll use those two verses to, uh, to explain the Trinity, which, you know, nobody can really explain the Trinity, but they'll use those two verses to say that points to the Trinity. Well, when you read scholarship work, they'll tell you that the oldest manuscripts that they found don't have that in there and that they will, it's called the Johannian comma. I don't know exactly why they or Johannian, something like that. I don't know why they call it that, but they can prove that it, that it was added by a scribe at a later time, but people inside the church, especially pastors don't ever want to hear that because it, it ruins, it ruins their narrative. In my opinion, at least it ruins their narrative. It ruins what they've been preaching for 30, 40, 50 years. And so they just don't want to look at that. But I look at them like, okay, why was it added in? Why are we taking, if the Bible is supposed to be infallible, then why was, did this have to be added in 500 years later versus when whoever was writing it at a, at another time or yeah. in the beginning of, of when they wrote it? I agree with everything you've just said in the fact that there's a lot of people out there who say you need to just, um, you have to trust the word and the word of God. It's there. It's in the Bible. It's, people are very dogmatic around the Bible. And I've got a bit of a, bit of a of a troubling issue where I question that as a Christian. And it's a bit unorthodox that I come from of the lens of, because I was a conspiracy theorist first and we know what they do with news articles. We know what they do with, with textbooks. They have first, second, third edition printings where things can change within it. Well, what can happen over tens of thousands of years in oral storytelling, let alone once they start printing it. So I agree with you in those regards, but it's interesting to note that nearly all the major spiritual themes and religions and cultures, they have that narrative of a a prophet or a God born of a virgin. We see it repeated across multiple cultures. So that in itself either is, it's that main idea of how humanity is trying to understand itself in this realm, 
or maybe it all comes from a single source. And I tend to believe that because it is so represented across multiple cultures, that it is from a single source. And I think in my mind, at least that gives some kind of credence to that. There is some kind of an, of a creator that's responsible for all this. And I've, I've where I'm at now, at least is the fact that at least the old Testament is, I think it's the, I think it's the Jewish way of just really trying to explain what was going on around them. You know, I think it's a lot more allegory than at least the, you know, the sto- a lot of the stories in Genesis. I think some of the historical books, you know, Chronicles, Kings, you know, all that. I think those are real because those are actually backed up by other secular works that are out there. But I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the, the at least the, we'll call it the the Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is a way of explaining just what they saw going on around them, whether it was in the stars, whether it was you know, ancient stories, you know, the Adam and Eve story, you know, anything like that, you know, and I think that's where I think a lot of it was. And like you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories out there that are older and still have the same, still have the same context in it as well. And so, and it's like, well, what do you do with that? You know, if so. Yeah. It's, and this is where we, we kind of, veered off in different directions on our paths because I found that a lot of aspects of scripture uh, or it alludes to a lot of answers for me or possible answers in that there's the potential that a lot of these earlier cultures which predate the Hebrews and a lot of the older Abrahamic tribes is that maybe there's there's potential that they are the tribes of the of the fallen and the Nephilim which became their god kings they set about creating religions and faiths and cultures around around their own ideas and their own themes. Because if you're a a son of a fallen angel, you're going to have the inside knowledge of a potential being that was very much godlike with a lowercase g giving you that information. So for me, right. that kind of made sense. Where I think in what you're saying is a lot of things weren't making sense, but in my journey, it's connecting a few dots for me and giving me possible answers. I think that's the the difference that we're that we're talking about yeah no i no i agree and you know i think it's it's just uh it's it's just different you know it's it's i think it's the same journey or maybe it leads to the same point but it's just from from two different ends kind of thing yeah it's like we've um yeah like i said we've crossed paths and we're looking back we're looking for those the same answers right having those conversations and i think that's what's really important about all of this well, I'm looking at it from a from a standpoint, right, of, of growing up, and maybe I turn a, a little bit more critical eye to it um, than uh, than you, just based on you know growing up in it. And you're much more of like, I grew, I didn't grow up in it. The world makes no sense, and here, and this kind of is the uh, is the answer I'm looking for. Not maybe not the answer you're looking for, but this is what kind of this is this makes sense to you out of all of it sort of thing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as like like I said, I'm definitely the first person that would that nitpicks part of the Bible because I don't understand it. Um and I think if anything, if God really did make us in his own image and gave us um free will, I think we're supposed to question everyone, including God himself, or we're supposed to question elements of it, especially if there's the room for manipulation of scripture via organizations and churches and then you go down the route of secret societies and whatnot you really have to pull it apart to fully understand the realm that we're in and if i was to just take it as gospel and that's not a pun intended if i was just to take it on place value i'm not giving it the critical eye and the gut instincts that i've done in every other piece of research and conspiracy and education in general i'm not giving it the due diligence i've done in the rest of my life yeah you know, and I think for me, it's one of those, I was so indoctrinated in it that I started, you know, I started questioning everything and it, it was hard coming out of it or at least questioning it because as I started questioning everything, I realized everything around me was false. I thought that, you know, quote unquote, Christianity was the one stronghold that was never going to crumble for me. And then as I started kind of turning on a, a critical, as I started turning a critical eye to that, because I was had a critical eye towards other things, then that started crumbling around as well. And it's just like nothing in this world makes, makes sense anymore sort of thing. And so then you just, you try to read and grasp onto as much as you can to try to make sense out of, out of something. I'm not saying 
the whole Bible is false. You know, I'm not saying the stories are false, um, but I, there's there's a lot in there that just doesn't really add up to me anymore. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's that it's that journey you go on of first you become red pilled, and then once you realize that even red pill is it's still one side versus the other, and then eventually become black pilled. <laughs> it's really depressing, right. and I think that finding faith and, and a couple of events that happened in my life that kind of led me instinctually and in my gut and at my core to, to realize and have a belief that it, it what didn't provide all the answers, but it provided an element in which a lot of data sets and a lot of um, areas crossed over. So I'm a big history buff. I, I love theology around other religions. I was into all that stuff before conspiracy throw into conspiracy into the mix there. It's almost like a Venn diagram where all these things are intersecting and there's elements at least of scripture and, and what you would consider Abrahamic religions, which kind of intersect all of that. And that's what I found really interesting in trying to unpack. So, you know, and go back to, to your question. What actually, I guess where it really first started, cause you asked me kind of where this really first started off. Um, there's, there's a guy in my church who, when I first met him, I thought he was, off his rocker because he was very much in the Nephilim. He was very much in the flood. He was very much into the flat earth. You know, all the things that, that the church as a whole will tell you either not to look into or just are fake. You know, the Nephilim he believed at the time, which I think the Bible does point to that was the Nephilim was the offspring of, of fallen angels and women on the earth. Well, there's a lot Southern Baptist included will tell you, no, it's, the sons of God were 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 just the children of, of Seth, and the sons or the sons of the other ones were, you know, the the children the sons of Cain. They were the children of Cain, and that's where I kind of landed on it because that's that's what I was told to believe, not what I researched to believe, but what I was told to believe. And if I believed anything different, then I would be shunned. So had to believe that. So when he when I first met him. His name was Jim. I thought he was off his rocker, but he and I would sit, we'd talk. He gave me a couple of books to read and it started clicking and, you know, and making sense. And I got, so I started really getting into an author by the name of, and he was, a, um, he was an old Testament, uh, theologian, um, Christian guy, his name, Michael Heiser. I don't know, um, if you're familiar with him. Um, if you're in the Christian community and you, you want to know more kind of about the way, his big thing was we read the Bible with 20th century eyes versus trying to read it the way it was written. His and his other his so his big thing was the Bible was never in the writers of the Bible never intended the Bible for us. It was preserved for us, but it was never written to us. Like the authors weren't sitting there thinking, "Man, I hope people in the year 2023 are reading this." You know, they're writing for a, a certain group of people at a certain time, but it was preserved for us to be able to read, but we intend, we instead read it through 20th century eyes. And so his thing was, we've got to get back to reading it through the the lens of how it was written. And so he wrote different books. Um, he wrote the first book he, that I'd read of his was one called the divine council. Um, and he taught. And so it really opened my eyes to what, at least in his view that the Bible was really talking about sort of thing, but in inside the church community, it, it very much went against the church narrative. Um, of what they wanted you to believe. So it was very much, oh, I shouldn't read that. You know, I go, to, we were going to a, a Calvary Chapel church and any book I was given was just written by any Calvary Chapel pastor, anything other than Calvary Chapel, you just, you don't want to mess with. And I was like, that, 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 that's not right. That doesn't make, so I started reading Michael Heiser and it really opened my eyes to, man, the Bible is a lot more, there's a lot more in here. Cause I was, which is funny. Cause he wrote a book. Uh, I dare you to bore me with the Bible. And I was bored with the Bible. I, you know, I grew up in church. I, I could recite you verses. I could tell you where things are found. I could talk theology. I could, you know, all that. So it was, I go to church on Sunday mornings. I'm like, I've heard this sermon from six different pastors. You know, it's the same thing when I was bored, but I really started getting into him. And so that kind of started my, my journey down kind of that path of like, well, let's find out what the Bible really says instead of what I'm being told that it says. Yeah, it's and you have to take into account not only does there is a huge issue with translational issues of going from Aramaic in Hebrew to Greek to Latin right. to English and everything in between, but words, the meaning of words change over time as well. It's not just the 
the translation, the words meaning can change dramatically over a generation, let alone a thousand years. Yeah, no, absolutely. It can. And so you, you really kind of want to get back into that. How, what was the original intention? What was a writer trying to get across at this, you know, as, as he's writing, what is he seeing? What is he, you know, what's this word actually mean at their time versus what it means at our time? Yeah, um, I'm going to throw one at you and get what your thoughts sure. are. Uh, Romans, I can't remember the exact scriptural point, but it's about um, vengeance. Don't take, do not take on vengeance upon yourself. Um, leave it to me. God will do it for you, essentially, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, basically, this is this is where I struggle because I like I liken this verse to the Q-tards and the Q movement. Trust <laughs> the plan, right? right. If, God, if God really, this is my biggest struggle, if God really made us in his, in his image and he gave us um, free will and at our core, we are supposed to be people that can choose good and don't have to be evil. And then you get into the whole debate of what is good, what is evil, can the two exist, whatever. But if at the end of the day, we are in his image and we're supposed to be choosing the right path for us to not do anything because we're trusting in someone else to do it for us. I think that's a big, a big cop out that, could have been added into a Bible or into religious texts to stop us from stopping evil. If we see bad people do bad things and we let it happen, it's never going to stop. Like what the oldest saying yeah. is um, all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And that's my biggest gripe with, with scripture at the moment is, is around Romans and the whole idea that vengeance is purely up to God. But at the same time, yeah. it's contradictory in the old Testament where God actively had the Israelites act upon his vengeance through them. So what's to say that vengeance isn't supposed to happen through us in certain circumstances? Yeah. And no, I get that. And so I'm going to, this may be a little extreme, but on the flip side of that, you do have people who believe that vengeance is supposed to be through them. And they're the ones who go up and, you know, blow up abortion clinics. Yes. Yeah. It does. It has this polar ends, doesn't it? It, you know, and so it, it is a fine line of, I always used to make the joke of, well, how do I know, how do you know God didn't call me to be the one to bring about his vengeance sort of, sort of thing, you know? And um, no, it's, it's, it's funny because the church will tell you seek God, right? If you have, if you have a problem, their, their thing is very much seek God. But if you come back with, if you firmly believe that God told you that, you know, you're supposed to be his instrument of, you know, of vengeance for whatever the situation. And I'm not talking like going to blowing up an abortion clinic, but, you know, calling somebody on the carpet or if a guy's beating his wife and you feel like God is telling you, you know, you need to go put that guy down on the ground and let him know to never do it. But it goes against what the church says. And all of a sudden the church says, no, 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 no. God didn't tell you that. God didn't, you know. God didn't tell you. And so it's like, well, where do you, where do you draw the line of listening, pray, listen to God, but it's got to follow this, this, you know, um, this formula inside the church for it to actually be, actually be real. Yeah. It's, it's, it's put faith in a box in a lot of ways, because if we're going down the route of God is real, the spiritual world exists, the supernatural is all a part of that what if a new prophet was supposed to come forward, but because of the dogmatic views and the box that religion's built into it, those people would never be believed unless they perform some kind of miracle. And then you throw into that. What if there's outside forces, the elites, you know, the the shadowy they people talk about what's to say they won't come forward one day with some fantastical bit of tech and perform miracles and then be prophesied themselves. Yet the person who just said, yeah, God spoke to me. God said, I've got to go down and um, feed these people. Small little gestures could be God's will, but it could be inverted quite easily. No, it it can. And it's, you know, I think inside the church, that's, so that's the problem is, right, is people will take the pastor's word at his word rather than doing rather than doing the research. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash on pastors, but the, the dynamic inside the church or not even inside the church, right? Like it's, you get, as long as you wear a doctor's coat and have a stethoscope, you're a, you know, you're an expert and people, people will listen to you. And we all know people like that of like, well, no, I mean, my grandma believed everything Dr. Phil said, you know, he's my doctor. That's what she would always say. And she would try to give us his advice whenever she, you know, whenever she heard it and it, and it fit. So you get that in, in every walk of life that, 
You know, if, if an expert tells you this, you're just going to believe it. And I think what in that situation, you know, like you were saying, like the whole, you know, taking something upon yourself or whatever, it, it really comes down more to a, a personal level than anything else. And I think that's more, more or less what a relationship with, you know, with God really is, is it's, it's more on, it's more on yourself than what the church tells you, you know, it's what the church tells you it's supposed to look like and what the church tells you it's supposed to believe. And if it's, you know, if you firmly believe that, you know, that God made, this may be a little extreme, but God made crystals and God gave them healing powers because, you know, they're natural and you carry a crystal around in your pocket. There's not a problem. I personally, I don't have a problem with that because I do believe it's natural. I'm not saying you're worshiping the crystal, but if you know, you believe that there is some sort of power because it is made by God and God is, and we see that in, in other things, you know, with, uh, you know, food, right? Certain foods are, are said to be able to cure certain ailments and all these other things. And it's, you know, it's not that you're worshiping, but you bring that in. It's like, oh no, that's a little, that's a little peg in there, buddy. You can't, you can't be doing stuff like that because that's nature and you can't, you can't worship nature. You got to worship, you know, I don't know. That really answers what you're saying, but. Um, no, it does. So it, 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 where, it puts a spotlight on there's, there's contradictory elements of it all that, like you said, I think on your journey, you said this doesn't make sense. And you're trying to find right. out why that didn't make sense, especially with like the, um, you would consider them the seven sacred sciences because yeah. essentially Adam was taught those sciences by God, but now because of the transgressions of man, we shouldn't be touching those things. But in my reading and my research, it really comes down to the Holy Roman Empire and, and the Romans prior to the Council of Nicaea and post. They were just going around the world, as far as I'm concerned, snatching up all the the pagan intellect, knowledge, resources, everything and squirreling it away from themselves and then telling the world, you can't use this, but they've probably been using it themselves since the inception. Right. Well, that's what, you know, the whole story of the Pied Piper in Ireland is, right? There there were no rats in Ireland. That whole story is an allegory for them getting rid of the pagans, in, you know, in, in in Ireland. And so it's just, you know, you, you read these things, but then you kind of find out the truth behind what you're reading. And it's like the story, the narrative that you're given versus what the truth actually is are two, they're two completely different things. And usually they're, they're at odds. Yeah, and I think that's that's the big thing. We've we seem to see with people they go the two directions in podcasting. Either people become black pilled or they question rightfully so they question and then they start to um really critically analyze their faith or they get driven into it. Um Adam from Deborah Gets Red Pilled says he went so far down the rabbit hole he found Jesus. And I think it's, <laughs> yeah. you're seeing that a lot in podcasting at the moment and when I first came out and said that I'd start to de- I'd started to develop my faith, one of my my good mates and a long time listener reached out to me and said, "Is this for real, or are you just going down the route of what everyone <laughs> else is doing?" I'm like, "No, this is the last thing I expected in my life to ever happen yeah. to me, but I'm finding something real from it." Yeah, you know, and I think I think what it is for a lot of people is it's they're starting to understand at least the way they're looking maybe you uh, or ask you you're starting to look at it not as religion right you're starting to look at it as more of a a personal relationship with you know with whatever whoever um i'm not gonna say whatever your god is but basically wherever you're at it's more of a personal relationship now like it's on a personal level it's not um you know it's not it's not big church not capital c church it's 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 drew and your you know and your faith your belief but it's it's again it's on a it's on a personal level and i think for me you know it was definitely you know big c church it was you know the whole thing and as i tried to make it more personal for me then that's where i was told that it was you know it was just wrong well you can't do that that's not you know that's not the correct way and so as i started turning more of a critical eye to it then I just, I started realizing that what I've been told just wasn't the, doesn't seem to be the right thing. So, so like and you then, said, like you said, you narrowed down the big C, the big church. I think for people who weren't initially religious, they see the the issues surrounding the institution of church or the organization yes. of church. And we see all the major errors and, and mistakes it's made either intentionally or um, just through sheer ignorance it's done a lot of horrible things. And I don't think the average Christian would debate that. They know that there's the institutions have made errors. 
But yeah. but what is there anything at all left that you see, and it doesn't have to be a belief in Jesus Christ or any other kind of prophet of a god or gods, air quote, what do you see in the realm in which we live in which lends you to think that there's something greater than a blue marble spinning through space at 100 million miles an hour? So I'll answer that. I, I do want to. I do want to say, I, I had an. I had an idea. I think. I th- so I think where where we have crisscrossed, where we have intersected. So I look at it as more of being inside the church and trying to find how do I get out of this, right? And you were more outside the church, trying to and understanding all the problems that go along with it, and now you're trying to figure out how to get into it and what that looks like. Yeah, I'm in, like, in a sense, yeah. Um, I'm still very much turned off by the institutions of churches. That's right. why I haven't committed to any kind of a denomination at all because I think that there's far too much information to look at and analyse and and learn about before even stepping foot into a and committing myself to a, I say, a group preference. Right. Yeah, and I'm not saying you're you're looking at how to get into into the church as much as how do I get into this relationship, Christian what does Christianity really look like? Maybe that's more of the question like you're, you're asking is what does Christianity really look like? And I'm like, the Christianity I experienced is not what it's supposed to be. So how in the world do I even get out of this sort of thing? And I think that's probably where we have kind of crisscrossed is like, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to figure out what it looks like to get in. And I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to, (laughs) to get out. That's where, that's where, that's where we meet sort of thing. Yeah, so, I think, and the the interesting is we're probably asking very similar questions at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we are, and it's more of like you're maybe you're looking for a reason to get in, and I'm looking for a reason to get to get out because I'm just like I'm I'm done, I'm done, <laughs> you know, not not I'm done. That's that's the wrong way to phrase it, but I'm just I'm you know this is not uh, this is not the way to be. So, so but, but at the what, same time, I can tell that you're not a a dogmatic atheist who just believes, like I said, the earth's just a, a blue marble spinning in space and we're specks of dust and that went well, well no, worthless. I, it's definitely I, not that coming. So I still, well. I still believe in a creator. I believe I look around this world, you know, we have, I look at a baby. I look at, you know, I think there's a, there, I think there's, there's some sort of being that was smart enough to make it where our nose face down instead of up. So we didn't drown when it rains. Right. You know, so I, I firmly believe in a, in a creator, what that creator is exactly, how involved that, that creator is, how true the stories are. That's more of kind of where I'm at with the, with the, uh, um, with the questioning, you know, and then along with that, you know, it gets into, and this is more just kind of the, the thought process of just trying to figure things out. But, you know, then you get in this, into Jesus and Jesus, Jesus was God, but he died on the cross. So how can you kill God sort of thing? And, you know, so questions like that just kind of start, start arising. So that's more of my, I'm not going to plant my flag and say, this is absolutely false. Cause that's, you know, that's not where I'm at. Where I'm at is more of like, just, I, I don't, I don't know right now. I don't know yeah. what it looks like. I don't know who it is. I don't know, you know, cause in, in my readings, you know, there's a lot of, not theologians there's a lot of scholars out there who believe jesus was real but he he was elevated to he they believe that the jews believed he was elevated to godhood status after he died because that's the way that godhood status followed in the in greek mythology and roman and you know um mesopotamian and, and all this and so they get into the stuff like that so it's that's more of kind of where i'm at is just trying to gather all the information and make the best educated guess versus um i guess mainly what it is is i'm I'm done with faith faith doesn't seem to hold a lot of water for me because you know faith is especially in the church it's just being told to believe something that you can't necessarily i don't want to say prove but it's faith i'm not even sure how to explain it other than just faith doesn't hold enough faith doesn't hold enough water for me right now yeah, fair enough. Um, I kind of liken faith to being a, almost like a re- religious dogmatic view that substitutes belief. And I think belief and faith are two very different things. I, yeah. um, I'm i going through the journey of I believe 
I, I know that there's a creator in my heart. I know there's a creator that's responsible for all of this because the world's just far too amazing and interesting for there not to be some kind of divine hand by it. I have a belief in a God and I just ha- so happen to know him as Jesus. Was his name actually Jesus? Probably not. He he could have been named Bob for all we know with right. over the thousands of years. But I just, in this time, in this space in history, I know him by the name of Jesus. And I think just because you give it a different name doesn't disprove or dismiss a divine hand behind everything that happens in the world. Sure. sure. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, it's just, was there a Jesus? I, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, I, I didn't live 2,000 years ago. Um, I, I believed at one time 100% that, that it was, that he was, he was what the Bible portrays him to be. But then I start, and that's my thing. So if I, if I start seeing how many lies in the Bible or not, I don't want to say lies, how many, how many additions, changes, whatever you want to put it, that are in the Bible, how many of those have to be there before you start questioning everything else that's in the Bible? sort of thing. And so I've seen enough in there to where I started questioning, well, if that's there and that's not real and that's there and that's not real, then what, how do I know that? And, and then you start going down the rabbit hole of well, the Catholic church controlled it all. What books do they have in their, you know, library that nobody's ever seen. And then you start getting into the Enoch and Jubilees and, you know, why are these kept out? And so it's, it's definitely a big rabbit hole that you, you try to make, you try to make sense of in, in the best way that you can. So in this this journey now of yourself where you've been asking these questions, do, at any points do you have lingering doubt of looking back, have I made the right choice or do I keep pushing forward? Have you ever had those moments? Oh, every day. Every day. But it's one of those of, do I am I thinking this because I've been indoctrinated to feel guilty about it? Or is this a real feeling of just... You know, there's a pricking at my heart saying you're going down the wrong, you're going down the wrong path, you're going down the wrong path. And so I I firmly believe that in information isn't a bad thing because the more information you have, the better um the better equipped you are to be able to judge a situation and be able to make a correct decision. And so that's where I go back to the whole when I've talked to some people, oh, we you just have to have it's a faith thing. It's a faith thing. And that like I said, that just doesn't doesn't hold water for me, especially when I see so many glaring inconsistencies or errors in what I'm what I'm told I'm supposed to have faith in, sort of thing. So it's 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 trying to find kind of that that happy medium between or trying to trying to figure out am I am I feeling guilty or is this you know the the pricking of the Holy Spirit, if you will, saying you know you need to come back, you need to come back. And then with that though, is it Am I just being made to believe it's Holy Spirit? Because, you know, that's what I've been told for 40 years of, you know, well, the Holy Spirit's going to prick at you if you're at the wrong, you know, if you're doing the wrong thing. And, you know, so um, it's, I guess it's using 40, whatever years of experience to kind of figure out what the right, what the right thing is. And, you know, it's funny because the, the church, the church will tell you, I forget which book it's in. It's in the New Testament. It was written by Paul, I think you wrote to, I think it's in one of the Timothy's where he talks about being a Berean and searching the scriptures every day. But then you start doing that and you're being told that you're wrong because you're not looking at it the right way sort of thing. So, yeah, like you said, it, it may not be the entirety of the church or, or the denomination itself. It could be just that guy that's at your local building <laughs> church right. or institution that says, no, you're interpreting it wrong. I'm the person you need to come to for clarification. Yes. It's that control. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. So you've got that. You still got those lingering moments, like you said, which is probably a great way to be really reflective on what you're doing and and moving forward. But as a lot of Christians would would put down, um, the man of the house is the spiritual leader of the house. How, has this um, new thought process and this investigation, asking questions, has that changed the view in your own house, or do you were your family were they? Do they have faith, or were they believers prior to all this? Yeah, very much. Um... You know, it's a, uh, so, ah, gosh, I don't know, five years ago or so, I kind of started turning a, 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 a critical eye towards the way we did worship. You know, I, I kind of came to the conclusion of if I took you to a church and I didn't tell, tell you it was a Christian church or I didn't tell you it was a Mormon church or I didn't tell you what kind of church it was. And you just saw people chanting the same words 
together. You saw them stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. They got lectured at for an hour. And then they believed everything the pastor said or whoever was speaking to him said, rabbi, pastor, bishop, priest, whatever you want to call them. You would tell me we were at a cult. It's very cult-like, you know, and I'd be like, oh, no, this is a Christian church. Oh, well, then it's okay. It's good, <laughs> you know, sort of sort of thing. So I started really turning a, a critical eye towards that. And then along with that, I started looking at the songs we were singing. And I was like, these are very, there's absolutely no theology in singing a chorus four times about, you know, you're a good, good God, you're a good, good God, you're a good, good God. And so I, st- I stopped singing them because at the time it was, you know, it just didn't make sense to me to sing those because I was like, this is not, this is not what church is supposed to be. Like, I don't, I read the Bible, I don't see this at all, you know? And so it, um it caused a little bit of a rift because, you know, my wife went with us, kids went with us and, um, she started kind of seeing my displeasure and asked me about it. And I told her at the time that I wasn't really ready to talk about it because I wasn't, I wasn't sure how to, how to voice it. I knew, I knew what the feeling was, but I wasn't sure how to voice it. And and so over time, it's been kind of the, uh, I can definitely see, I don't even want to say the spiritual leader, but just the leader in the house. Like if a husband stops kind of doing something, it, it definitely affects kind of the dynamic in the house. You know, it's the, the wife will lean on a husband to, um, to be that rock for whatever, you know, whether it's, you know, being, being the the decision maker for church or, you know, where they're going to go, whatever it is, the, the husband is, is definitely kind of that, that leader. And so I saw, I saw it. I still, excuse me. I still see it. Cause I told my wife, we had, a, we had a talk. Um, we had a talk not too long ago and I asked her, I was like, cause we haven't been in church in probably like eight weeks now, nine weeks you know, we would go kind of every other week and this and that. And uh, so I finally asked her, I was just like, am I the reason you're not going to church? And she just kind of looked at me. I said, okay, I, I get it. I was like, look, I will go. I will absolutely go. I like two, three of the people there, you know, I can talk to them and um, you know, we can, we can go, but it just kind of the, the, um, you know, the, the, excitement of me going or the lack of excitement now has definitely trickled down to, to, um, to the family uh, dynamic as well. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's an it's interesting aspect that any Chinese changing your mindset of how the world operates or works, whether it's changing political views or changing your own personal philosophies around a given thing, let alone religion, it's, it can definitely throw people around you because my wife was, She's always been the the religious person in a relationship. She's an Anglican. She was raised, went through private schools, um, very Christian girl. And I was the black sheep that married into the family, the the bit of the heathen that came in. And now it's it's I'm the person who's chasing these things. And I ask her questions. What were you taught in high school? What were you taught in right. religious education? And I'm questioning her and she says, oh, this is the answer. And I go, but have you considered this? And we've kind of got this dynamic now where, I can see that she's she's happy that I've found this, but at the same time she's feeling challenged that I'm I'm questioning deeper or asking deeper questions right. or open ended questions about things that she's um found. You're refusing you're refusing to accept what she's just accepted, basically. I, I wouldn't say it's refusing to accept. I'd I'd say I'm I'm digging deeper t- to what she's being taught. Right. Okay. I think like she's she's grown up in it and she's kind of probably like you had earlier on when you were younger, she's taken it on face value, what she's had. She was, lack of a better word, she was indoctrinated into the belief system she's got. And I'm just, because I'm an adult, I'm asking questions that probably a child couldn't do as they're being brought up. Yeah, no. um, And I I completely get that, you know? And I think think in my house, gotta make sure she's not listening. I think- I think in my house, it's one of those. So, you know, as I started kind of going through the, the, down this red pill trail into the black pill and now kind of back up into the red pill, um, you know, at first she was very, and not just her, there's a lot of people in my life who didn't understand why I couldn't just accept things I was being told, you know, but I've seen with her that she started to kind of see how things, not in the church so much, but just things in life where, whether it's just, Hey, we were talking about, buying a truck and now all of a sudden on, on her Facebook, 
she's starting to get ads for trucks, you know, that she's like, I've never even looked for trucks. Now we're starting to get, you know, or, you know, she's starting to see like, um, that movie, uh, sound of freedom came out and she started reading all these articles about how the power would go out just in the theater that was showing that movie across the nation. There were, and she's like, and so she's starting to see how things kind of line up. She's like, okay, how many coin and so she's starting to question i think a little bit of how many coincidences coincidences does it take for it not to be a coincidence she's not comfortable questioning you know she very much wants to be uh i don't want to say be told what to believe but she 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 just doesn't like questioning sort of thing yeah i think and she's more she's she's more comfortable not questioning than than she is questioning yeah, I think that's that's what that's like the normie view of the world, isn't it? We're kind of being trained our whole lives to to not question authority or or the person that provides the answer. My wife's been yeah. doing the same thing recently. She saw what happened in Maui and she saw the level of devastation there. She said, "How could a fire like that go through so quickly? That many people die without realizing it was coming." And then she was actually the first person in our household who said, that looks like it's a directed energy weapon. I've said, that's the first <laughs> time I've heard you utter those words in sequence. I love you so much right now. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, and it, it is uncomfortable when, when somebody's narrative starts getting wrecked, you know, it's, it's very uncomfortable for them. And I, um, there was a, um, there was a guy who, when I first discovered flat earth, that um, I I watched all of his YouTube videos. His name was Rob Skiba. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He um, really interesting guy, really neat guy. And so he did a lot of stuff on flat Earth. But one of his thing, one of his quotes was, "Never hold on to anything that when you so tightly that when you find out that it's false, it completely breaks you." You know, and that so that's really what I try to hold on to. Other than Christianity, Christianity was the one thing, or you know, church, whatever was the one thing that I was holding on to so tightly because I absolutely knew everything I've been taught was had to be true. It had to be true. And so when I started kind of researching that, that was more than anything else where I got black pilled was finding out, you know, okay, well, this is what I've been taught, but that's not necessarily what the truth of the matter really, really is. Yeah, it's well. It's good to hear that you might have had you might have your challenges in the way that you're going and how it's impacted your household, but it's not been a, ma- a massive detriment. And I think the couple that's out there in this kind of a field that we're in that does it really well is Kaylee and Bob. Like yeah. Bob, Bob is Bob's got the belief that if um or mindset that if you believe in a a god through a church that that it's kind of like it's child's play. You're a bit of a kid using your imagination. But Kaylee, as we know, is a woman that has a faith and a belief, and she takes Bob to church at Christmas yeah. time, and we see Bob's <laughs> tweets about or his messages about how he was forced to go to church. But it works for them; they love each other, and it works. Yeah, you can have two yeah, different ideas much. in the same household and still love each other. Yeah, very much, and they're they're definitely a, a rare breed. You know, it's it's one of those, um, but it works for them. You know, they're, they're able to do it somehow, some way. I mean, granted, they kind of need each other to take care of the basketball team they have living under their house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Someone's got to keep the, the tribe going. <laughs> That's right. Oh, John, this has been a great conversation, mate. Um, I'm yeah. glad we were able to actually to sit down and have this one outside of just texting back to and fro and, and waiting for that stupid time zone change to keep talking again. <laughs> but this has been fantastic. True. Where can yeah. the listeners find your new work? So I'm on all the uh, I'm on all the podcatchers. I'm on Spotify, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple. Uh, I think I'm even on iHeart. I don't think anybody subscribed or listened to iHeart, dude. When I look at the uh, um, the analytics, but it is there if you if you use iHeart um, and whatever else Spotify puts it out on. You can find me on Instagram as well. It's just uh, how the hell do we wind up here? Um, and it's the same same thing. You can search for either how the hell do we wind up here. Or look for uh, John the Fed. Um, you can type that into at least Spotify and I know that it, that it comes up, uh, as well. Um, and that's, again, that's thanks to Bob because when, as you know, when I first met, uh, when I first met Bob, he wasn't sure if, uh, he's like, why is this guy reaching out to me? Maybe he's a, maybe he's a fed, you know, cause God, <laughs> Bob is a perpetual skeptic. So I think he's, I think he's like 80% sure I'm a good guy now and maybe 20%, 20% sure still kind of left out there. So um but yeah those those are the really the two places that you can find me fantastic go check his work out guys he's done some fantastic episodes um how many are you up to at the moment 
nine. Jay smashing it out, mate. Well done. Yeah, this, soon, this one soon, will be this one will be ten when after uh, after I put it on. So awesome. So once you once you've cracked that ten mark, you're in the top like seventy percent of podcasts in the world that have made yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. My my uh my gift to myself once I hit that ten mark is I'm gonna go buy myself a microphone because apparently it's it's real after like ten episodes. So it, um, it sure is. And then the next hurdle is going to be a year mark, and that's going to be a big one, mate. Yeah, it absolutely will. But you know, 0.9% of my audience is non-binary. I don't really know what that means, but uh, (laughs) Spotify lets me know that that 0.9% is non-binary. So I appreciate the non-binaries as well as, as well as the binaries who are listening. (laughs) Oh my God. See, my analytics aren't that detailed. It just shows which countries, sexual and gender identity. That's something new for me. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's it's through Spotify. I use Spotify as the the pod host, and I scroll all the way to the bottom on uh on the analytics, and it gives me all that. Jesus, there you go. Well, on that <laughs> note, ladies and gentlemen, thanks, John, for coming on, yeah. and we will see you next time. I appreciate it, Drew. Thank you very much. <laughs>